1: Heal Squad, happy Thursday! It is Kelsey, and you know what time it is. It's Throwback Thursday, and today we have a really special episode for you. We have Sean Korn, who's a yoga teacher, a public speaker, and activist. She wrote a book called Revolution of the Soul Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. Today, she teaches us all how we can begin our spiritual revolution. I don't think you guys are ready for this. If this is your first time listening, you take those notebooks out and you take those notes because you guys are going to be so moved. And you also know the drill. If this is your second or third time, I promise you, you will find something new. So to everyone listening, write those aha moments down and please, please enjoy. To give you a little tease, one of my favorite parts of this episode is when she talks about how we try so hard to avoid darkness, but we can't see light without shadow. Oof, that really spoke to me. So I hope this episode speaks to you as much as it did to me. If it does share it with someone who will be just as moved as you are it means the world to us Heal squad it's what keeps our show going we love and appreciate you guys and we'll talk to you soon
0: Getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when we can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria menudos Hello, hello, everybody. It's nice being back here. It is. In studio. This is where we try to learn because when you know better, you get better.
2: Yes.
0: And our quote of the day comes from our guest today, who I'm so excited about. To truly understand what it is to be in the light, you have to also understand what it is to be in the shadow because it's one thing to hold the light within myself, but how can I hold the space for another being when they are in the shadow and still love them and not judge them? I am only going to judge them if I am still judging me. And that is from Sean Korn the internationally acclaimed yoga teacher and public speaker. Uh, she wrote an incredible book called Revolution of the Soul, Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. She is a very relatable story of someone who found yoga, who was not you know, the typical yoga person, And uh, I really loved reading this book. I don't know if I fully understand the quote. Do you fully understand the quote, Steph?
2: I think it has a lot to do with what we're going to ask her, which is if you don't do the self-work, you can't have prospering (laughs) relationships and you're going to judge them and you're still judging yourself. But if you do the work and you stop judging yourself, you can look at people more wholeheartedly and be just a better friend or companion or person. That's what I took away from it.
0: Cool. Me. So I'm just stupid. I'm no. okay. <laughs> That was really eloquent. Um, no, because it says, because it's because it's one thing to hold the light within myself, but how can I hold the space for another being when they are in the shadow and still love them? Like basically, when they're in their shit, right? And when they're in a place where you would normally judge them because you're all enlightened and they're not, right? How do you still love them and not judge them? I am only going to judge them if I am still judging me. Ah, yeah. now I get it. Sometimes you get to read things a couple of times. I, th-
2: so many of the quotes, Maria and I had a lot of the same quotes <laughs> highlighted. I had to reread, but once you get them, you're like, yeah.
0: oh. This is good. That's good. Well, it's like lest lest ye judge... No. Lest ye judge yourself. You, gonna, what, is that a I, song? No, it,
2: it's. I think that's a Bible verse.
0: Yeah, it is, but it was in like a Guns N' Roses song, I think. <laughs> I'm gonna look this up right Lest now. Lest ye judge yourself. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I I swear I'm not on drugs right now. <laughs> I know you had a late night. I had a late night. <laughs> not super late. Uh, I went to the Golden Globes parties last night, and uh, I mean, I think I got home around one one a.m. ish, one one thirty.
2: Oh, that's earlier than I thought.
0: Yeah, guys, I had McDonald's last night.
2: Talk about it. Not
0: good. (laughs) Not good. Well, it was a very busy day. Um, I was reading the book. I had a really nice time. I sat outside by the water fountain and was reading Sean's book and just being so inspired and feeling so good. We are going to chat with Sean um, now. She's got such a crazy, amazing story. You know, she went from abusing drugs and alcohol, suffering from anxiety and OCD to now being an internationally celebrated yoga teacher and a spiritual activist. She is spearheading a revolution of the soul, which I love She's been endorsed by the likes of Sally Field, Naomi Watts, Gabby Bernstein, Marion Williamson, Larry David, so many more. When you read this book, you start to see quotes from like congressmen to celebrities. To It's like non I've non-stop. never seen
2: anything like it. For yeah. someone, because a lot of like Larry David, that's surprising that he's not like, this is frou-frou for me, you know? Yeah.
0: Oh, he was into it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And to get him to actually read a book, and you could tell he did, And to write a quote is not easy, Um, I would imagine. I don't know from personal experience. Um, Today, she's going to talk to us about this book and the revolution of the soul, as well as her teachings that will help heal, evolve, and change the world. You are going to love this book. It's literally been what I've been talking about for the last two or three days with people. You're going to love this. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Me too. (laughs) Um, So uh, without further ado, here is Sean Korn. Oh my God. Okay, wait. So Sean and I are having a discussion off the air that now I'm like, wait, we have to have this on the air. Like we just have to start here. Because we were talking about your dad having kidney cancer and my mom having brain cancer. You lost your dad. Mm -hmm. They gave him how many months? Four. And he lived seven years. Were you taking care of him?
3: My mother was taking care of him. But what I would do was... um, I'm on the road um, traveling for work. And so I would teach on a weekend, finish on a Sunday go home to Jersey, be there for five days, get back on a plane, and then go to my next gig um, for work. And when I was home with him, my brothers and I took on very different roles, as I'm sure you know within family. You know, there's certain things that I could handle that they couldn't and vice versa. And for whatever reason, I could handle the gross, gritty stuff of hospitals and... Just the blood, the puke, the shit, the, all the stuff that goes along with cancer when you're in that level of treatment. Yeah. And so, um, but my mother was the primary caregiver and it was just, it's just rough. It's yeah.
0: intense. It really, really is. Mm-hmm. I've had to do things that I can't unsee or undo that are, I would never in a billion years think, Mm-mm. and I don't mean just changing like pants. I mean, um, you yeah, know, yeah. that bathroom stuff. Like it's even crazy. You're just like, you just have to do what you got to do. Yeah, They need help. You have to do it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were saying something that was really profound that your dad said to you. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, when he got diagnosed, of course, my father was a yoga teacher, but he was also a very, very practical man. And because I, I deal with trauma and the mind-body connection and the ways in which we hold information in our bodies. And if we're not processing that information, we can create an environment internally that can cause things like cancer and 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 disease and depression and all sorts of stuff. And since my father was open to those, those kinds of dialogues, I would just get in there like, this is second and third chakra. Is there anything that you have to um, reconcile within the relationship with your family around shame, uh, expectations, abuse? And my father really like tried to process it with me, and I also had tons of opinions about diet. Uh-huh. I'm of course, with diet. oh
0: my god, but they call me the Gestapo in yes. the house because yes. I'm like no sugar, no carbs, yeah. nothing. But. Did he know the chakras like you did? Like how advanced was his yoga compared to yours? Not to the
3: same degree. Okay, okay, not got the same it. degree. But he was, you know, available. But my father said to me at one point, um, "You and I are having two different experiences of my cancer, and my my experience is none of your business." And that really floored me because it meant that no matter, I had to give the space for him to do, feel, create. His plan of either healing or dying in the way that was appropriate for him, and I really couldn't interfere. I could offer guidance if he was open to it and if he asked. Otherwise, I had to mind my own business, and it was hard because it felt it was a loss of control.
0: Yeah, helpless.
3: Yeah. Like, if I could <clears throat> give him this one thing, then maybe I, I could save his life. I put that in quotes. And, you know, that wasn't um, wasn't the way it was supposed to go down. intense, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. And now that I'm on the other side of it, I wouldn't have changed any of it. It transformed me as a human being. It transformed our role from father-daughter into two souls walking each other home, as Ram Dass says. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. so hard. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn. I know. I know. Ooh. Yeah. You know, my mom
0: said to me this morning, the caregiver came... And she's so sweet. It's our first day. I said, mom, she's really nice, isn't she? And she goes, yeah, Maria, she reminds me of my mother. And I was like, maybe she is. Mm -hmm. So we all need our mom when we're sick. Maybe that Mm Yaya is here with you. And she's like, I want her to take me with her. Mm-hmm. I want to go up there. I want to see my baby. I want to see my mom. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I go, no, you're mm-hmm. not allowed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so your conversation with your dad is kind of, my mom would not have verbalized it like that, I yeah. think,
3: mm-hmm.
0: in English. But I was like, no, you're not allowed to go. Like, we have yeah. a lot more to do here. Like, And yeah. I'm working my Butt off to keep you here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I was yeah. making my mom's vitamins the other day, and it's like a chore because, as you know, like, yeah. when you know what you need to give them, you're giving them everything. And her brain, by the way, has been sharper than ever these last few months. And I realized I'm giving her Dr. Black stuff has a, uh, a brain pill he created, a brain supplement. I think it's called Coggevity. And so she's on that. She's on um omega-3s from Dr. Eamon. She's on turmeric and all this stuff. And I swear it's made a difference. Mm-hmm. And so then I started making them for my dad. Because he's taking care of her. And I'm like, can't lose him. Like we need him to be super strong. And so I'm making him his pills and his vitamins. So we're just
3: yeah.
0: It's insanity. It's crazy. It's but it's
3: amazing. It, there's there will be moments that you will look back in in regardless of the end result, and I pray the end result is just positive on every level for your family. But regardless, this will bring you so close. It's so vulnerable. And just say all the things. Say all the things. Um, That was something... I remember one time when my father was... um, He was really sick at this point. And we're in... uh, we're in bed together with my mom watching tv you know and i'm laying between them
0: i do that too yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> and my father says to my mother alice get out of the room i want to talk to my daughter and this may be 3 months before he died and you know my mother kind of looks at my dad you know and there, there's something exchanged between them and he just she just nodded her head turned off the tv and left and he pulls me onto his body and he was so frail at that time and i remember with my head on his chest i could hear his heartbeat And I'm thinking, are there a thousand beats left? You know, are there 10 beats left? One beat left? And my father, he puts his arms around me and he says, my baby, my baby. He starts to tell me how much he loves me and how amazing I am and how proud he is of me. And in a split second, as he's saying the words, I thought, oh my God, my father is saying goodbye. Yeah. And I thought, I can't, I, I'm not ready for this. This is not happening. And I dissociate. I just get out of my body. I hear maybe four words of that whole conversation. And every once in a while, I'd say to myself, Sean, get in your body. Don't miss this moment. This is too important. And it's important to him. Here are the things. And, um, when it was, uh, over, like maybe I got 10% of what he said, but I, uh, He says, now get out of the room and go get me a Coke. (laughs) And uh, at that point I would have given my father anything, you know, it was, it was over. And uh, so I didn't, I yelled down to my mother to get him the Coke and I go into my room um, and just shut down and no, I don't cry. I just shut down Mm. and fall asleep. And maybe a week later, I'm in bed with my mom and dad watching TV and my father says, Alice, get out of the room. I want to talk to my daughter. So my mother looks at my dad, you know, looks at me, shrugs, she leaves the room. And my father starts telling me how much he loves me and how great I am. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? We did this already. Yeah. Like, no. And I kept saying, like, no, he, he needs to say the things and, and you know, get back in your body. And maybe this time I heard 30%. Well, to make a long story short, my father did this nine times before he died. Nine times. But by the ninth time, I heard every word. We planned out the music that he wanted for his funeral, the things that he needed me to say to the different people in the room. Um, He wanted the songs, uh, um, Highway to Hell. And (laughs) uh, uh, my father was very funny and very dark that way. And but 100% of that conversation, like I heard, and I cried, and he cried, and we, we thanked each other and forgave each other, all the th- you know, all the stuff. And I remember walking out of the room. He said, "Now go get me a coke." And I went down and I said to my mother, "If my father says goodbye to me one more time, I'm going to kill him." <laughs> and it wasn't until after my father died that I realized what he had done. That the experience of death and dying was really so overwhelming to my psyche that I was just really in denial. And it was like, I knew what the end result was for all of us, but there was something about my nervous system that wasn't allowing me to accept and embrace and do the things. But my, by my father getting me to talk about it and normalizing it again and again and again. He prepared you. Yes. It let me express, discharge the energy and cry. And by crying and being that little girl in that moment and letting him be the daddy, letting him be like, you know what? You're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. It's all cool. We're all good. Thank you. I love you. By doing that, let me discharge the energy enough to be present. And that was the greatest gift my father ever gave me. Because wow. when he did pass, my nervous system was prepared and it would not have been had he not let me communicate my emotions and my vulnerability. I don't know if he did that on purpose. My fault, you know, I really don't but he did it. yeah, And that was very liberating. So for anyone who's listening to this, who's going through this, the extraordinary, even if it's in the right order of things, it's a lot, your heart will break and it will heal. And what I know in my soul and in my body, when I walk the world, I f- I'm my father's DNA.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, I feel him in my walk, in my laugh, in the way in which I experience the world, or certain things that I appreciate now, because I know my father would have loved it, mm-hmm. and because he's in my body, I'm like, "All right, Dad, I'm going to do this one for you. I'm going to go watch this movie or experience this particular sunset because I know how much he'd ex- enjoy experiencing it, and he can through, through you." Mine. Yeah, that's so, so cool. Yeah, I wish you and your family the best. Thank you. Oh boy. Yeah, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I. you know what? Don't be, because yeah. I'm not the only one going through it. No. You know, there are so many people suffering. But it's, it is interesting how they prepare us, because my mom's doing the same thing, mm-hmm. and I know it. And only through EMDR was I able, because I'm really good at disassociating and disconnecting, too, because I don't want to feel pain. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody wants to feel pain. Um, and I really related to that discussion in the book. Um, and so after a session with EMDR, my mom literally had the talk with me, like mm-hmm. right after. It was as if she knew. And I was sitting there and she was like, when, when I go, I want you to keep smiling. I want you to keep dancing and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I'm losing it. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like stiff, like next to her on the couch, like (laughs) trying not to feel because I don't want to feel. And then I was like, you have to let go. You have to let go. This is your moment. Say everything you want to say that you haven't been saying. And I was like blurted. I'm like, I just want you to know I did everything I could and I love you so much and blah, blah, blah. And like, I just Mm -hmm. like it was so scary. Why is it so scary for us to say what we want to say to the people that we love the most? Mm -hmm. Why?
3: It means admitting to ourselves. It's there's an end. It's the child inside that just doesn't want to believe it. Like I, that was the greatest gift I gave my dad was dropping to my knees and saying, "I'm going to miss you so much," and just putting my head on his chest and saying, "I don't want this to happen." My, who am I without that identity of my yes. mother and father? You know, and, and we're blessed to have those relationships. Not a lot of people don't have that. And what does that loss mean? And we're, it's not normalized in our society, unfortunately. You go to other cultures and, and death is a part of life and it's ritualized and it's acknowledged and everything is is done and it's nurtured, not as an ending, but as a transformation, a celebration. Yeah. Our culture doesn't do that. It's a finality. And we have to find ways to normalize it. What my dad insisted I do, and it was really hard. He said to me before he died, he wanted me to teach a workshop called Yoga for a Broken Heart. And to and I had to do it within three months after he died. So it was still fresh in my own body. Wow. And so that I was present to my, really my own trauma around death and dying. Well,
0: he knew you were going to have the trauma, so mm-hmm. he wanted you to work on it. Yep. What a great guy. Yeah,
3: well, yes. It, yeah, very much so. And special. also complex, like all, you know, crazy. And- yeah,
0: but that's like, it's so so special for him to have been so forward thinking about plotting out your healing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to say how much he loves you and that he's going to miss you and, you know, a few little anecdotes, right? But to then plot out your healing, which is what he did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So cool.
3: He really just felt like death wasn't normalized and we had to communicate it. And by practicing yoga and creating environments where people can literally physically discharge the energy so they can feel, whether it's the loss of an animal or a child going to school, like leaving home, a divorce, any kind of betrayal, grief runs deep in our bodies. And if we suppress that grief, we we deny really our our own vulnerability, our own femininity, our own... um, Resonance with grace when we do that, but it's because we haven't been taught how to hold both the shadow of life as well as the light as being unified. And until we can get really good at talking about it, it's really hard also to empathize. You know, you're. I always I said to my dad, "Thank God you 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 died first before mom." Like that was a gift to prep me from my mother Um, because that if it was reversed. I don't know if I would have had the capacity. His dying and death has helped my nervous system a little bit more, prepare for that that other inevitability. But I hope that when that comes, that it's something that I can walk towards with honor and, and a sense of the sacred, and to be able to be that present as I was able to be towards the end with my dad. But it's it's not something I look forward to. Yeah, <laughs> it's just something I think in our cultures we need to talk about more.
0: So, how do we do this?
3: How do we doing what we're doing right now? I have no doubt in my mind that people who are listening to this, there's someone that this this is touching their heart in a really big way. This is what they needed to hear today, because odds are someone is walking somebody home. Yeah, and <sighs> and you know, and that's Ram Dass, You know, that's. Someone is in it this moment, and someone is shut down, and someone is scared, and someone is doing all the right things, um, and someone is praying that it, it, the end result is different um, than than it might be. And they need to hear this conversation, and that they also need to hear that they will laugh again. They will remember really amazing moments. Um, that grief comes in these unusual and unexpected waves um, and that the presence of that being lives within them forevermore and they will feel that and know that in very odd and unexpected moments Um, and to carry the traditions and the rituals and the joy and the grief of their ancestors and pass those that information on forward to whether to their children or the children in their lives just to keep not necessarily the memory but the resonance of those who walked before alive and well in the future
0: yeah where were you in your kind of evolution when your dad died
3: um it was 9 years ago so I was pretty far along but it doesn't yeah. matter I was when you're in it you're you know I was 8 years old yeah you know, like emotionally but with yeah. pretty good tools I could if I could remember to grab them that's they the were thing there. yeah Oh my god I'm so glad you just said yeah. that because you know
0: I've been on the journey too and I've been acquiring the tools and sometimes you forget to grab them yeah and you're like, oh, wait, why did it take me three months to remember something that I, I had right here that I could have used?
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: I like I like thinking about it like that rather than, you know, kind of beating yourself up. It's like, okay, I had the tool. I just didn't know where I put it. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. dad forgets to put his tools away all the time. There you go. So, mm-hmm. um I like that a lot, actually. That's helpful.
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're in grief and overwhelm, like you're just lucky, like just to brush your teeth in the morning and change your underwear. Like that's that's a victory, Yeah. let alone grab emotional psychic tools. But if you have a support system and you have resources for that, use it. Whether it's therapy, um, grief, support counseling, the program, um, just a good friend, but to find ways to talk to others about it because everyone goes through grief and the overwhelm of, of caregiving. Um, people will experience that in different ways. And the more it's affirmed that you're not alone, that the mistakes, I put that in quotes, the mistakes you think you're making are, are actually really normal. Um, and to continually ask yourself the question as you're going through the process of caregiving, just what would love do? And That will always guide you to make the next right, best decision, including letting them go.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my. What would love do?
3: Mm -hmm. And sometimes it means saying goodbye. You know, and sometimes it means, you know, making sure that they have the turmeric and they have, you know, they don't have the sugar Yeah, and, you know, put your foot down or giving them the book to read.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or like taking your foot off the pedal sometimes and mm-hmm. and just loving them. Like yeah. that was one of the things I was getting so custodial, Yeah. right? Like <laughs> yeah. got to do this, got to do that. Da, 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 da. And it's like, wait, no, she would probably, and I would probably benefit so much more from just sitting it front Of a TV and watching Dancing with the Stars and yes. not ordering her around because I'm like producer, <laughs> like we have to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is the battle we need to win. And then you know, you transition at some point, and you're like, wait, it's not about that. Now it's like we have to think about quality and and time in a different way.
3: Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised we got on this conversation, Me too. But it brings my heart. Like I love, I love sharing, you know, it's so human. It's so human and it's so vulnerable. And so I didn't expect to like go here in this morning. Me neither.
0: Morning, I go where it feels right? and that's that's where you start. It just felt right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. People are listening and they need it. Yeah. Um, and it is scary. And a lot of us do shut down and we miss those opportunities. Yeah. And maybe some people won't miss those opportunities now to have those talks. And it's funny, a psychic, John Edward, had told me when my mom first got diagnosed, he's like, there are many conversations that need to be had that you have not had. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified to have them. And I just started having them in the last few months. And <clears throat> and it changed our whole relationship
2: mm-hmm.
0: and brought us closer together. And, um, and so, you know, you're healing, like I'm healing from so many things through this terrible time, you know, because you see... You learn so much through it, and there there's reasons why these things happen. Unfortunately, like mm-hmm. like you said, um, and it's funny. I texted it to a friend of mine who is in uh, a tough place. Um, I texted him this page called. Um, it says angels are everywhere. Sometimes your teachers will be subtle in their offerings. Sometimes they will break your heart. Often the lessons will be incomprehensible. Always they will be potent and necessary for the evolution of your soul. And I sent that to him because it really moved me Um, because, you know, when we talk about it on the show a lot, we always see problems and we're like, oh, can you believe this? Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait, but if you really look at it, like challenges are opportunities for growth. So why are we looking at things just like we're not conditioned to handle death? Mm -hmm we're not conditioned to handle problems. And we're always just so shocked when they come up. And it's like, wait, guys, we got a long life of problems ahead of us. Yeah. No one's got easy street ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and so I sent that to him and he was like, oh, thank you so much. I really needed mm-hmm. this today.
3: Well, you know, that, I remember in that same conversation I had where my father said, you know, we're having two different experiences of my cancer um, and my experience is none of your business. My father also said this to me, and this is in relationship to that. He said uh, he did not believe that his body manifested uh, cancer because of unresolved anger. He just didn't believe it. He didn't feel it. But what he did believe was that cancer was an answer to his prayer. And I asked him, of course, to elaborate on that. And he said that he felt that when we were growing up, that he wasn't as present as a father that he would have liked to have been. My, father, my parents were really young, and, you know, he always had this vision of the kind of father he would like to be. And he said he, as he got older, he would pray that before he died, that he had the opportunity to show up uh, for his children in that capacity. And he said it took cancer for me to become that dad. And so he really felt that he prayed for clarity. He prayed for transformation. He prayed for growth. He prayed to be that dad. And
0: I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy, Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. What do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days.
3: Could have been any number wow. of things, of course. It doesn't mean the end result is like, okay, you know, cancer. It's not like he made cancer happen, yeah. that's just life. Life just is, it's just what you do with that. Yeah. It was like, okay, here's this thing. And this thing made him more vulnerable, more honest, more present to, to his children, to me yeah. uh, especially. And so there was a gift, even though it took him away from us, it also in so many ways brought him closer Um, in a way that couldn't have happened had cancer not happened the way that it did at that time. And so, yeah, angels show up in a variety of ways and that we need to have the pray not to change our experiences. That's just, it's not practical. Again, it is what it is, but we can pray for the strength to perceive our experiences through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And that really requires faith and grace. And, yeah. and it's hard because we're conditioned like, no, this is bad and this is good, mm-hmm. where there's really no such thing. We can't know the light without the shadow. So how do we be in relationship to the shadow and be present to it and feel into it and let it mature or evolve our soul, let it awaken us um, without any attachment to an end result?
0: Yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about. I have a bunch of things in here marked um, where From it says Billy. explain. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um And, and I think understanding that, right? Like you can't know the light without the shadow. Elaborate more on that for people because, and, and even with people, like, like, as you say, angels come in different forms and, and Billy, oh my God, the story (laughs) of Billy in this book, um, Billy saying God is right there. God is in within her. God is within him. Um, you know, we all have someone in our life that we just wish was not there. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: (laughs) Someone who is disruptive um, at like best. And, you know, we have now become part of the culture of like, okay, just separate. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're related to them and and we're all connected. So you can't really separate, Mm -hmm. right? And so, how do we navigate
3: that? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a reframe of perspective. Um, I, I'm a yoga teacher, so I believe in that interdependency that everything is connected, that there is no separation. And actually, the cause of so much conflict in our in our world is the fact that we do think that there is a me and a you, an us and a them, and that creates a power dynamic of dominance and oppression that's evident in our personal relationships. It's evident in our global uh, dynamics, including our politics. And so as a yogi, we have to take responsibility to look at where do we participate in the very separation that we suggest we want to see healed or transformed. The, The... Often what I see, the problem within the spirituality communities, is that we're so addicted to the light and that we bypass the shadow. But if everything is connected, then the light and the shadow also have to be in relationship to each other. You don't get to know the light without the shadow. So in yoga, we're taught that what bonds us is energy. Energy is vibration with information. And so the fact that we can see each other, that's a... um, a, a vibration, it's a, it's gross energy. It moves at a rate that's slow enough where we can see, but there's subtle energy, subtle energy you can't see, but you can feel it like love mm-hmm. and joy. Um, it has its own particular resonance, but so does hate and shame and rage and guilt and grief. They're vibrations. So trauma, trauma is anything that overwhelms the our capacity to cope, and leaves us feeling helpless, hopeless, out of control, or unable to respond. Everybody experiences trauma. There's a difference, though, between shock trauma and developmental trauma. And people who think of trauma often think shock, rape, murder, gang violence, um, things that happen. Accidental
0: deaths. I I love that you explained this too.
3: Mm -hmm. And, um, but developmental trauma. Those are the traumas that happen as we're as we're growing up. Before we have words to put on our big feelings, mm-hmm. bullying, death of a loved one, divorce. When trauma happens, um, uh, chemicals release from the brain into the body. We're put into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. So the moment of overwhelm, what we will do to create a sense of safety or control? Remember, put us young. You know, mm-hmm. eight. You know, seven, eight years old. Our bodies contract because our nervous system says, unsafe, the body contracts. In that moment of contraction, the information behind the trauma, the rage, the fear, the guilt, the grief, the shame, whatever it might be, energy, think of that as a narrative. That story is now imprinted within our cells. Now, if we're young and we're given space to scream, to cry, to rage, what happens is we discharge the energy And we're able to release it. And like the animals do in the wild, they don't hold on to the Mm -hmm. fear. They literally shake it out. We don't do that in our culture. At best, we might get this like, oh, you're sad? Here, here's a cookie. Or, oh, you're angry? Let's go shopping. You know, we'll buy something. Or, I'll give you something to be angry about. We're taught to self soothe or be shamed by our big feelings. Later on in life, that self-soothing can become drugs or alcohol or more food or sex or whatever it might be, but it's a way to anesthetize or numb ourselves from the shadow, from the overwhelm of our own humanity. And so often we get on a spiritual path thinking like we're going to feel better by let's just be compassionate for everyone and forgive everyone without giving the body a chance to discharge mm. the the humanity of rage and shame and let that energy out. We think that that's not spiritual. Well, it'll come out sideways. It'll come out in passive aggressive little you know little remarks or or again using substances so as not to feel anything. And so my hope for people is that they're willing to recognize that the shadow is a huge teacher. It's because our anger is what will teach us forgiveness. Our shame will teach us acceptance. Um, all of the shadow has its, um, not, the opposite is the wrong word, but it, it has its complementary energy mm-hmm. that can't be mm-hmm. learned without having to go into the darkness into that cave, the gift of this is compassion and empathy so that suddenly we see these people who have broke our hearts, people in our families who just feel that we cannot reconcile who they are or what they say. We look at them and say instead, oh, they're in trauma. They have suppressed some energy and they are acting out in this way because they don't have any other tools Mm -hmm. so that they can feel their own vulnerability. And suddenly we stop personalizing it as in the same way Mm -hmm. and recognize that we're all here doing the best we can with what little we know based on the trauma that we have and the tools that have been available to us at that time. (gasps) And so I try to remind myself of that and feel really grateful that I have had I have had access to tools and a support system that values the inner work and doesn't shame it or, or make it secondary to like intellectual practical thinking. And knowing that most people in the world don't have that. Yeah. And so I, I could see that in the micro and also in the macro. Our world right now is in trauma, but when hate meets hate and fear meets fear, the cycle of dominance and oppression continues. So somebody has to change. So I have to dismantle the systems within myself that project rage, shame, hate onto another without seeing and experiencing their humanity. Um, Once I can do that, then maybe I can actually contribute to the healing of this planet.
0: So that was so beautiful. How do we actually do it? Because for example, I have a brother who, um, I've had a difficult relationship with and I am evolved enough to know that he's in trauma. And so I do have those moments where I'm like, okay, he's in trauma. And I do know that he doesn't have the tools to get himself out of his own way, but how do I allow that to not contaminate and hurt me in my life? Mm-hmm because we had a very long stretch where we didn't speak. And then my mom's illness changed that. And then for a short time, everything was good. And then it went back to the other way again. And it's just, it's, I know I spent the summer looking up at two trees in my yard and I don't know why. And I just kept associating the two of us there. And I was like, okay. I know this is supposed to be teaching me something. Oh, but I don't want to learn this lesson. It was mm-hmm. like it was almost like how resistant you were to everything at first because it sucks. It's work. Yeah. Like I'm working on everything else. I don't want to work on this. Mm-hmm. But I know and I know people who are listening right now that are going through the same thing and they keep asking me for advice and it's such a tough thing to give advice on because I haven't figured it out. I know he's there to teach me things. I know he's in trauma. But why is it my job to fix him? And is it?
3: Mm -mm. Well, there's that's you just answered really your own question in there. Like the mirror has just been reflected back. Um, All you can do is love and pray for him. That's all you can do. Um, And then find safe spaces for you to process your disappointment and your rage without trying to spiritualize it. Just there's a saying that we have in this, in in the, in, with my sisters in, in my community, which is, You can't get to the bless you without going through the fuck you because Mm. it's energy. And so you need to find a place where you can process that big F you that you feel because that's real and it's human and it's been with you since you were a little kid. But you don't want, if you're not processing that, that F you will come out on him in other ways at other times, creating more of a rift.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
3: He's at capacity. That's just who he is and that's how he will be. Um, So therapy. all sorts of ways you can go to make sure you process. But also, what he's holding up the mirror is looking at the codependent part of you that, that has to fix everything. That is, that's who you are. You know you can probably do it better than anybody else. You probably can't really ask anybody for support because they don't have the capacity that you do. But also going even deeper, is that where you learned your value? Is that how you were loved? By being the the fixer, the yep. caretaker, the the mediator, um, and what happens to that little girl if you can't hold that role? Are you still lovable? Mm-hmm. And so it's deep what he's reflecting back because he's not letting you um, feed. He's not letting you satisfy that codependent part of you mm-hmm. that wants to make this meet. <clears throat> now I'm I'm speaking. I don't know you well enough to be yeah. able to make these assessments of course. Um this is very general to anyone who's listening. That's it's much more complex than what I just said. Yeah. And that's that would be one of the things you might want to get curious about is what is he holding up? That's showing you where you're disconnected from your own grace from God um because he is. And what love looks like is trusting that he's on his own path, that that path is none of your business. That's between him and the God of his own understanding.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: He's here to also learn what love is. But the rate in which he learns what that is happens in a very unique timeline based on his own trauma. And all you can do is be loving Without letting yourself get hurt, because you can't do that either. That's that's never okay. So you have to decide what those boundaries look like, maintain those boundaries, even if it feels so uncomfortable, and continually give him back to God and be very clear in in the dynamics of that relationship, what he's capable of, what your expectations are, Mm. and how to perhaps reframe those expectations so they can get met in a realistic way.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm not saying any
3: of this is easy. you know, I've got my own dynamics like that in my life, yeah, um and yet I have examples also in my life where it has worked um, where grace has shown up and relationships have been healed um, yeah you know, it, it it's it is possible, but it's dependent upon how you show up in in the yeah. circumstance.
0: yeah, taming your expectations is a big part, I think mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, there's so much there <laughs> yeah. um I also. I want to talk about your story because you talk a lot about how we hold our stories. And part of that is from the traumas. And I loved how you explained how it's like embedded in our muscles and how when you started doing yoga, things were expressed. And just reading your journey through yoga, you know, you're kind of... Rebellion in a sense while you were in it, like in your kind of pushback, but then the body doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. The body was like, Thank you. And I need to express this. And you're horrified. I mean, this book is so good. Anybody who's listening, you have to read this book. Um, but I, I really want, and actually, look, I'm on the page and I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. It, it was from Billy. So Billy was your friend. Mm-hmm. Explain briefly who Billy was in your life, because he's a big, big part of the book. He's the backbone of the book, yeah, I feel like.
3: Yeah. Billy was, um, when I moved to New York City uh, back in the 80s, uh, when I, right after I graduated high school, so it was 84, uh, I worked in nightclubs. And uh, I worked at Limelight, which was this, it's a very famous nightclub um, It doesn't exist anymore. But in Limelight, there was an all-male gay sex club called Heaven. And I was the only cisgendered woman that was allowed in this particular part of the club. Um, And I met this man, Billy. And uh, Billy, African-American man in his late 50s, he was sober. At that time, I was doing a lot of drugs and drinking. And he...
0: As a first time mom of a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps a bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> bonus wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili.
3: Wood just offered me advice. And one day Billy, uh, came in, didn't show up in the club for a while. And at that time, there's no cell phones or anything like that. So I had no way of contacting him. And after about three weeks or so, Billy comes into the club, crosses uh, through the dance floor. And I noticed something seemed off, if you will, but I couldn't have identified that. He's looked frail. And I leaned over the bar and I went to hug him and pull him into me. And as I did, I noticed all these open wounds on his neck and his shoulder. So I pull back and I said, oh, my God, Billy, what is that? And... He I remember him touching his shoulder and saying, They're symptomatic of my disease. And I knew right away what he was about to say. But I was so young and so inexperienced that I was so terrified of his answer. And he said, I have AIDS. And I recoiled. And he asked if I wanted to understand more. You know, I felt so much shame around my reaction to it. And he explained everything and At the very end of the conversation, I said to him, well, Billy, what's going to happen? And he said, "Um, dying. And I asked him if he was afraid. And he said, no, because of his faith in God. And I recoiled again, because at that time I was an atheist for a variety of reasons, as I explore in the book. And he laughs though, and asks me why I, you know, he, he says to me, you know, don't you believe in God? And I said, no. And he asked me why and explained, and I remember him just smiling and nodding and then him saying to me at the end of the conversation, Sean, do you want to see God right now? And I look around the room and you know, there's men they are making out and they're half naked and it's all sorts of fabulous debauchery happening. And I laughed and I said, yeah, you show me God here. And he points to Danny the Wonder Pony, who is this <laughs> white guy who used to come in with a saddle on his back and half naked, a chaps, and for a dollar you can climb on his back and he would trot around the floor and you can hit him with a switch and... Billy points to Danny and said, God's right there. And then he points to a, to a woman at that time we would have referred to as a cross-dresser. Now we understand that person to be transgender. And um, Violet, was her name? About six foot tall, huge. Uh, actually, no, about six-six. Um, and Billy points to Violet and says, God's right there. And then points to somebody else in the club. God's right there. And then Billy takes his hand big hand, and he places it over my heart, across my chest, picks my hand up off the table where I had it and puts it on his heart like this. And he says, uh, Sean, God's right here. He said, I'm going to tell you something now, and I hope you remember this the whole of your life. Ignore the story and see the soul. (sighs) And remember to love, you'll never regret it. And then he went on to explain to me that Danny the Wonder Pony, Violet, me, him, AIDS, all of it's just a story. It's not who we are. They are aspects of our journey, but they're not our essence, that all of us are here to learn what love is. And he went on to explain how all of us will have these unique journeys, but we are all being led to this transformative process that depending on our karma is going to be so unique. And it opened me to experience God in the shadow, God in humanity, God in the dark stuff, um, that God wasn't something that existed outside of ourselves, that it's in every blessing, it's in every heartbreak, it, it's in every death,
0: suffering.
3: it's in all of it, and that there's in every experience the opportunity for grace. But what we can't do is also ignore our humanity by bypassing it and jumping to spirit. We've got to feel the loss yeah. and feel the rage and the jealousy and the imperfections and the inadequacies and be in relationship with it because, as he told me, it's what will develop empathy and empathy. He said is what will change this world. And so Ugh. that was that was my experience with Billy, the the greatest angel in my life who brought me to God.
0: Well, and then you gave him to us because I love Billy and I don't even know <laughs> Billy. Well, Billy, um, yeah. but Billy is Billy was so special for you know when you think of where he is he's in this gay sex club and but when you hear his story about his family abandoning him when he came out and yeah. and he just created a whole other life and just kind of dealt with dealt with it mm-hmm. um you know you i felt so bad for him mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and so I, I also applaud you so much for being so raw in this book about your journey and um and your experiences. You know, I mean you were really raw. Mm-hmm. And um I think it's so relatable and um and honest because you know, you can see you now, you're internationally acclaimed yoga instructor, speaker, and this is your first book, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're mm-hmm. you're an author now. Um, but your journey will inspire so many people who would never think mm-hmm. they could have this evolution, right? Like who you are now is a completely different person. Even though there's you're the same person, mm-hmm. there's a transformation that's taken place, yeah. right? Because even when you start to talk about the Billy story, you, you kind of shifted a little. Mm-hmm. It was almost like you went back into that time yeah, and yeah. you were... You were that, Sean, for a split second. It was a funny thing I noticed.
3: That's, that's an interesting observation, because I'll tell you the truth. In the writing of the book, I had to—I've um, never written a book before. I didn't know what to do. I had a lot of limiting beliefs um, around it. Um, before I wrote it, I prayed. And be careful what you pray for, because I—and I, I include a portion of that prayer in the very beginning of the book, because I really ask for transformation and for clarity and mm-hmm. to, to, to step into— um, this mystery. And the very first thing I, uh, I wrote after I said my prayer and, and asked for all this guidance, I took a breath and I wrote, my name is Cece. And I stopped short and I thought, oh God, no, because Cece is my nickname. It's the childhood name that I had. It's the name my family calls me. And Sean is my birth name, but I didn't shift to Sean until I left home, moved to New York City. There's a difference between Cece and Sean. Now, Sean has has had therapy since she was, I'm talking about myself in third person, so I apologize, but <laughs> in this context, but Sean has therapy, mentorship. Uh, I've been a teacher for a very, very long time. I've done a lot of deep transformational work. I've got a massive support team. I'm 53 years old, so I have, it's, it's a long arc where I can look p- back with neutrality to my experience. Cece never had that. Mm -hmm. Cece has to live in the experience because Cece had childhood sexual trauma. Cece had obsessive compulsive disorder. Cece had uh, anxiety. Um, All these things that led me to yoga and to therapy Mm -hmm. and to giving up drugs and alcohol. But there is a very, there is a distinct, two distinct relationships that live within me. So when I wrote, my name is Cece, I gasped because I knew that the book was going to demand me to have to go back in time, in present time, and not teach. And that's how I broke up the book. The mm-hmm. first part of every every narrative is me in present time telling the story. The second half of the chapter is me as Sean saying, here's what was actually happening. Here's what I couldn't have known. Yep. Here are the teachings that support this. Like, holy shit, this was actually perfect in the transformational process. But when you're in it, it feels like anything other than that. Yep. So it's an interesting observation on your end because... When I tell this, that was the hardest part about writing the book. It was easy to teach, because I don't actually have to be vulnerable. Yeah, um, and that's something I need to dismantle the identity of that. You know, my identity actually of being teacher keeps me dissociated from my own humanity that's the shadow of the teacher. And so in the writing of this, it was very traumatic. I had to work in therapy sure. um, every week. I had a, a series of mostly women mentors around me um, because it was very re-traumatizing mm-hmm. to have to live into the trauma again. Because if I don't feel it, the reader's not going to feel it. Yep, And I knew that and it terrified me. But my hope was to also model, it that's a wrong word, but... Model because I don't have a better one, just what it means just to own the story and not have the story own you. And that it's as you go through the book, the rate in which I and I put this in quotes get it it gets shorter and shorter, but I still make mistakes. Later on in the book, I'm dealing with social justice, I'm dealing with my own internalized racism, I'm dealing with what service means and what help means. And I make countless mistakes, even with the best of intentions, not understanding generational trauma, Mm -hmm. not understanding historical trauma and all the ways in which that influences my service. and all of that has to get unpacked. And if I'm not willing to own it, why would I expect anyone else else in the world to? Mm-hmm. But the difference is, it's like, as it's happening, there's another part of my brain that's like, oh, wait a second, I got a tool for this. And it teaches me how to, how to say I'm sorry quicker and how to reconcile it faster. But it doesn't mean I don't make those very human errors that we do. And that's what I wanted to hopefully show people within the arc of the spiritual practice. It's that it's not about perfection, it's about the process itself. Mm-hmm. And um, so the writing of it was really, really hard. And I, one of my mantras during that process was, um, I had to write everything, but I didn't need to print anything. That was an, when Ooh, I-
0: oh yeah, good, good one. You know,
3: the, the trauma that I experienced, The agency over my body was taken away. But what I do have is agency over my story. I get, as an adult, to share what I want to and what I don't want to. But by communicating it, writing it, processing it, my nervous system got so discharged that I was like, oh yeah, I can share that, I'm cool with that. And it gave me space to discuss it with my family to make sure that everyone understood what my intentions were so they they weren't gonna be taken by surprise by anything. And, um, and so I really wanted to demystify the role of leader, a spiritual leader, if you will, in the community and say show that, no, this is, my leadership shows up because of my vulnerability mm-hmm. and my willingness to own the, the messiness of life without shame. Because if one person can read the story and identify with it and feel comfortable reframing it within themselves and seeing that there's a pathway, yeah, then I've done my job and am honored to have been able to do that in this lifetime.
0: I love that. That's exactly what I was thinking. And what's interesting is again, Billy being the backbone bone, ignore the story, see the souls. So mm-hmm. I was captivated by your stories. And then seeing the transformation was so cool. Mm-hmm. Seeing the, you know, the whole evolution, I just I loved it. Um it was it was really helpful um and i loved you know I marked here, like know that every person is a teacher and every experience is a teaching and um it's it's stuff that we need to hear and we need to really internalize and and remember um when we judge we protect we project our fear shame and guilt onto others and see them as other yoga says there is no other um I loved how you explained yoga in this book Mm -hmm. because um, I think, I think it's still hard to understand even for me. Mm -hmm. Right. And to, and to understand how, how incredibly helpful it is. Like I thought of yoga, I started doing yoga, gosh, maybe last year and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for stretching purposes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I did it for a while for stretching purposes. But when I read this, it makes me understand that there's a deeper thing to it. Like, How would you explain it to people who are like me that are are seeing just such a surface level of it and what it can do for your healing? Because we all have our traumas, some bigger, some smaller, some more, some less.
3: Well, when you say someone like you... Um, who I can see is, is clearly on a spiritual path. Uh, to me, yoga is magic, but magic with a K. And magic means shifting energy at will. And that's what happens when you practice yoga. You transform the contraction into expansion, the fear into faith. But there is a physiological, emotional, spiritual component that works within that. And for me, and it's not for everybody, I had to get through layers and layers and layers of tension before I could feel my vulnerability. Because with trauma, remember I said there's that contraction that happens. That contraction makes us think we're safe. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's on the other side of that contraction. It could be more abuse, it could be abandonment. My nervous system won't allow for that release of tension because of the unknown. What yoga does, the yoga asana, the physical poses, you stretch. Now at first you just feel better. Like you're just, you're just like, oh, that felt good in my body because your nervous system is titrating. Like I feel stronger. And that's a part of the journey because what's happening is your nervous system is, is getting acclimated because the, ten, the emotions live within the tissues. As the tissues expand, the emotions, that resonance rises to the surface. And at first what it looks like is distraction. We fidget Mm -hmm. on the mat, we'll fantasize about like food or the sex we might have one more time someday. Um, We'll project onto the people around us like, oh, I wonder where they got their leggings. Mm -hmm. We'll use our other senses as a way to avoid the sensation of the emotion because that's what it is. Um, The sensation is coming up in the body and the the psyche is saying danger, danger. And so it's looking for something to self-soothe You go through that process and stay present to the sensation, the feeling. Sometimes, not always, but we can get emotional in the yoga practice. Just, you know, life is fine. Everything is great. And I explore all this Mm -hmm. in the book. And all of a sudden, we just feel weepy. Not bad, just weepy. And that's really an important part of the process because our vulnerability is what leads to surrender. And surrender is what opens us to a relationship to the divine within everything that we need to know is already within our bodies, everything. We are manifestations of God, but our tension blocks our ability to feel that part of us. So release the tension. We get out of our heads, we drop into our hearts. So the practice of spirituality is not something that's, abs- that's um, intellectual because it's then determined by our five senses and we're way more than that. It's abstract. So it's a felt experience. But if we're so shut down that we don't feel, we try to make sense of the ineffable, mm-hmm. even the incomprehensible, but our hearts tell a different story. So the yoga asana practice helps us to release the tension It teaches us how to be present to the sensations within our bodies, to observe the ways in which our minds will deliberately distract us from present time so that we can experience the most vulnerable parts of ourselves and be able then to reframe, to see our stories differently. Because if I'm in my anger around the story, that's my ego. But if I'm in my grief around a story, your heart opens to it, like with your brother.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: if you, if, if you had those moments where you can physically be in the grief and in the sadness of it, you would experience your brother differently. Whereas when you're in your anger around it, and again, nothing wrong with being in that because that's part of the process, but you have a, a, your body responds differently. You're not available because yep. it's not safe to be available. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence of that safety. Yoga teaches your system how to titrate so that you can, be able to stand in front of somebody or something and still have that energetic boundary within yourself. And so the practice teaches you then to also understand how stories live in the body. Literally they live in the body. Um the and I'm pointing that you people who are listening can't see me, but I'm pointing to the different chakras within the body. And each chakra, each vortice of energy which which regulates the prana in the system. And if we if the prana is moving fluidly, it impacts our ability to be present. What impacts the chakras is trauma. And so we hold on to the fear. We hold on to the guilt, the shame, the grief, the lies, the illusion, and the attachments. All of that affects our arms, our legs, our intestinal tract, our lower back. And so yoga allows us to also as you're in these poses, certain poses you you don't want to be in, and all your stuff's coming up. Well, if you understand the practice, you're like, why? Why am I so resistant? What is coming up? What part of my body is responding? And what part of this body is in relationship to a specific narrative? Meaning that fear is related to home, safety, family, security. That second chakra, guilt, sexuality. Um, That third is... uh, individuation, self-esteem, self-respect, self-control, it gives you a roadmap to work with.
0: So if you're in a pose that feels super uncomfortable and you're dying for it to be over, that's your pose you need to think about more?
3: Oh yeah, absolutely. Now Mm. there's a difference between discomfort and pain and a good teacher can help you to navigate that. But if you're like in a hip opener, you know, pigeon pose, double pigeon, and you're just fidgeting like crazy as a teacher, that's the medicine, it's right there, just breathe. What I'm taught and I share in the book at first, breathe and everything changes. Yeah, I love that. That's what I learned. But that was, again, that was enough at that time, that's all I could handle. Because there was way more than that that I would find out later on. It's not enough to breathe and everything changes because the story is still there. I'm just letting my body acclimate. Later on in the book, I'm exploring what is it that needs to be changed Mm. in my hips? was my childhood sexual trauma. It was the abandonment. It was the sexual trauma of my mother and grandmother and my my culture. It was the fear of survival that as a Polish Jew lives in my body. And when I was able just to be present to that sensation and grieve, I grieved my mother and my grandmother and all the ancestors before, and realize that all their stories live within me as well. And it's not that I, it's like, oh yay, the story's out of my body. But what it does mean is that when I go up against something that threatens my, that threatens my survival, I'm gonna be aware that my body just contracted and I am now in a state of reactivity. Mm. Nothing can happen in reactivity except more fear, more rage. So okay, Sean, breathe, you're safe, you're okay. Say a prayer, and let this energy release so that you can respond from love, not from fear, but this takes years, yeah, but it doesn 't discount those first years for me, just getting on the mat, I was just puking and just uncomfortable and annoyed. All of that was so purposeful to get to the next level and the next level and the next level, and it 's not over. you know my yoga now is really is very much it 's about service, it 's about relationship and connection it 's very much off the mat. Um, But it took me having to be on the mat to help me to understand that there really is no such thing as on or off. Mm. And, but I can't know that. Uh, I can't know the we until I understand the me. I can't know the collective until I understand the individual. And so yoga gives you a pathway to allow you to be in relationship with all of it. So
0: how do you know what yoga class is for you and how do you find how do you find the one that's going to give you that transformation? Because I feel like I was doing it and I was just doing it, like I said, for stretching. Mm-hmm. And is it, is it better to be in a class with a lot of people? Cause I felt the energy of you being in that class and I would be the same way. I would be fighting feelings and trying to hold back tears and not wanting to let them out. And um, like I went to a breathwork class um, with Kelly Noonan Goras, mm-hmm. who I'm sure you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and and I just like let it out because other people were letting it out and mm-hmm. no one was looking. Mm-hmm. Like when I would go to Soul Cycle, it was my favorite thing. I'd go in the back of the class and I would cycle, and once they get into the inspirational talk, I would like wail and let everything out. But it didn't matter because no one was looking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if like a group class is better. Than individual because I was doing individual and I I never felt any of that mm-hmm. stuff, but I also didn't know what to look for.
3: Yeah. So now I, I feel depends. like I know what to look for. It really depends. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, no separation between the mind and the body. The body remembers everything. So even in Soul Cycle, you are discharging energy and yeah. you're discharging the grief and the years of of living. Um. But a good yoga teacher, it can it can be a shamanic experience. They. Uh, they guide you, there's an arc that happens that's from birth to death, death not being an ending, again, tr- death is transformation, but there's a very specific shamanic arc and not all teachers are capable of taking students, nor should they, um, because with any shamanic art, arc, there's, there's this, you have to cross over into two worlds and if the teacher's not skilled doing that within themselves it can be um, just arrogant, just spiritually arrogant. Mm-hmm. And so finding teachers who are really who are priestesses, if you will, in this kind of work is is invaluable and in a group setting, so supportive and healing. But with that said, to me, safety. Often safety and intelligence is primary. It's like any kind of artistry. You learn a skill and then you throw it away, Mm -hmm. but you always have the foundation. So people who are newer to this, what I recommend is let go for now, this idea of having these transformational experiences, learn how just to simply be in the body, learn the breath, how to organize. Because what happens in a lot of these more um, spiritually oriented classes is that to keep the rhythm of the class, you have to make the alignment secondary. But our bodies bend where they're soft, not where they're hard. And so we will often get into these habits avoiding the areas of resistance. But the areas of resistance where the musculature is tight is where the emotion lives. Mm. It's where, it, that's where we need to dive into. So if a student understands how to how to align their body and stabilize those points of of mobility, they're better physically equipped when they go into more, these more fluid classes to know what to do with their bodies. So then when they're in the rhythm, they're not avoiding those, mm-hmm. those congested areas. They'll um, The work becomes more accelerated with that kind of information. So to me, that's always really... I, I try in my classes to bring in both alignment and while simultaneously bringing in the trauma-informed work and the energetic work and the shamanic work in in, in really helping people to um, open to, to that grace, um, that once that tension is released, they're no longer hearing my words. They're feeling them mm. because they're words that are already true within their own soul. That's the magical practice. But finding teachers like that, are it can be really challenging, but they are they exist. And when your nervous system is ready, they will appear. Mm. And when it happens, it'll blow your soul wide open. But the better the foundation is to me, um, the more people can avoid injury. Because yeah. <laughs> I see that way too often in, in these practices. And not to be in a rush, you know, it, it, as you read into my book, it, it was eight years of a physical practice before I had an emotional response because emotions weren't safe for me. Yeah. And then it was years of being super indulgent in my yoga practice where all I did was cry and cry and cry before I was able to have the skills of reconciliation and and then to learn how to get to the anger. That was a whole other practice. And, but each one built slowly. Yeah. And so for For people who who are listening to recognize that the spiritual practice, it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifestyle. There are so many different kinds of teachers that will pop in that'll be instrumental and that when your body, nervous system, psyche is ready, the right teacher will show up and not to be in a rush to make something happen because you saw the person next to you on the mat doing it um, and thinking somehow maybe you're doing it wrong because that's not the case.
0: Wow. Are you still teaching classes?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you teach? I teach nationally. I don't teach. um, And when I'm home in LA, I'm just, you know, walking my dog and with my family. Uh I try not to teach when I'm here. It's more integration for me. So I'm on the road often. And I I teach about 250 days out of the year on the road. Wow. Uh, Doing, yeah, for a very long time. That's really my life.
0: So do you do like big, like... Yeah. Big arena kind of things, like arenas. <laughs> like
3: I would imagine,
0: you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people are going. It's it's one of those yeah. kind of it can be situations. I right? would say
3: um, sometimes it's anywhere you know, five hundred people um, at festivals, but uh, other times it's more intimate. Especially if I'm working with teachers, if I'm teaching them how to find their voice, how to especially with trauma informed yoga it's very important to make sure the container is very safe. And mm-hmm. so um, less than, I mean, and again, for any other yoga teacher out here with less experience, um, it's gonna seem like a big number, but hundred people, I can handle that container doing the deeper inner work, mm. um, 50 is even better. Um, but for some people, 10, Five, you get the amount of students that your own nervous system can handle and yeah. manage because you have to be really responsible in that environment. So sometimes I cap classes um, around the work that I do. And and it also depends. Uh, there's a another kind of yoga that I teach um, off the mat into the world that bridges the gap between yoga, transformational work, um, social justice, and conscious action, how to take the work that we do, and be more effective in creating social change. And so, again, I work with smaller groups with that because we're uh, developing leadership, and that needs more one-on-one attention. Mm-hmm. And so, it really depends. I enjoy both. I love the big environments. You know, they they are shamanic, and and it helps me to channel in those rooms because I. I'm no longer seeing the individual, I'm feeling the connect, the the collective, and it's very, um, uh, their energy moves through me and it impacts what I'm about to say. Um, I never know what's gonna happen in that space because it has to be revealed in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I love the artistry of that. One-on-one is, uh, there's something else that happens, another level of magic. I don't that personally I don't prefer that because you really have to work up against someone's ego and their their yeah. determination and all the stories they're going to tell to try well, to their get their expectations
0: out. in that moment. Yeah. Right?
3: It, it's harder but it's also really invaluable. So it depends on where people are at. Wow. But just to trust it and to be just my hope is for anyone who listens to be really fully amused by the human experience. Um, it's rough it's intense, at times it's brutal, and it is absolutely magnificent and beautiful and intimate, and it's yours and it's mine and it is holy. And it doesn't always work out the way that we think we, it should, but it's also always perfect for the development of our individual soul. And if we can have some space to know that this particular lifetime, this is the short term, There's a bigger picture that's happening that we're being schooled, Mm -hmm. that this maturation is necessary, and so all these Mm -hmm. moments are intrinsic to where we are evolving to. And we can't know what that is until we reach what in yoga it's called the samadhi and until the enlightenment. And none of us are there yet, Mm -hmm. so we need to forgive ourselves for thinking we should know better. We got to forgive others for thinking they should know better, and every day pray. Uh, My non-negotiables, so as not to get triggered or be reactive, yoga, meditation, prayer, therapy, sleep, diet, and play. If I'm not activating any one of those seven things, I know that because of my trauma and my own humanity, that in a very short amount of time, I'm going to be hurtful, passive-aggressive, controlling, dogmatic, um, and it's going to feel right. It's going to feel really right. Um, So practice is everything so that we can be aware like, oh, I want to rip that person's head off. Probably not the appropriate response.
0: And I'm out of alignment.
3: Mm -hmm. So what do we got to do to ground so that we can be present to our own humanity and also be present to someone else's in love?
0: Wow. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also love looking at yoga as, as something to heal trauma. I never thought about it like that. Um, you know, cause you see it, um, in the celebrity world as, you know, a different thing, but is there a type of yoga that mm-hmm. is more transformational and, and trauma based? Yes. What is it called?
3: Trauma informed yoga.
0: Really? There's yeah. an actual trauma informed yoga?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I would recommend Hala Kori. She's here in LA. Hala Corey. Hala Kori. She teaches, um, Trauma informed yoga. No way. Yoga for trauma. And this was meant to be. I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to do this. Yeah, she's quite. A, she's a somatic therapist, uh, and so that's this is one of her specialties. And a yoga teacher, and um, this is something that she's highly skilled at. And uh, she works with me with off the mat into the world, and so we've worked together side by side for years, and I know her work well. But there's other teachers all over the country. Uh, that are recognizing, Mm -hmm. again, yoga union, no separation between anything, no separation between the mind and body, the body experiences trauma. And so yoga allows you to discharge the trauma, but without bypass, it forces you to have to look at the trauma and say, what are you here to teach me? How is this meant for my highest good? and But without, again, but also feeling into the rage of the child. Like I, in my book, I had to, even though I don't mention Cece, she's all over there. Mm-hmm. And I had to give space for that overwhelm without thinking I should know better. And that we can hold the complexity of both. And so trauma-informed yoga lets you lets you do that. So I
0: love that. I learned so much. I have so many other questions that we didn't get to. So we'll have to have a part two at some point. We will but have to. um but I wonder, do you have a resource for people where you can suggest yoga teachers across the country for them.
3: Mm, I don't on off the mat into the world. Uh, org we have a faculty of people who are doing different kinds of yoga on the fringe like that for, like for example, yoga and twelve step recovery um, uh, beyond duality uh, that really speaks to uh, um, folks on the margin margins What's and that? folks on the margins. Those are people unlike us who have um, privileges because of the color of our skin, because of our social and economic um, status, uh, because of our access to education and resources. Mm-hmm. So folks on the margins are you know, often folks of color, um, um, transgender folk, um, folks of varying abilities. Um, who don't have the same kind of access or privilege. And often they're excluded from the mainstream yoga community. They don't feel in that environment mm-hmm. like their circumstances are being spoken to. And so we have a, a, a broad faculty of people who do online and in-person training to uh, help and um, speak to some of the trauma that the, the historical and generational and systemic trauma that lives in folks on the margins that don't wow. live within us, and so we have a very broad research of a resource of people who do trauma informed yoga on there on on that um, particular website. So okay. offthematintoworld dot org. Perfect. I would highly recommend. There's also Ashley Turner who's also here in LA. She's a uh, yoga and psyche, um, and she's also a priestess. She does very transformational work, also a shamanic work in her work in her rooms. Um, they, they're there. Uh, and I highly recommend working. It's mostly women, not all women, but it's mostly women that I know who hold this kind of like this this, this shamanic space, but also understand the psyche, which is critical, has to yeah. be understood. So I would I would suggest checking out that website.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, we'll put it in the summary so that you guys can find someone near you and then obviously find you on tour yeah, yeah. wherever you are.
3: Well, that, they can find me through Seancorn.com.
0: Awesome. Sean, thank you so much. Thank you so much. On every level. Um, There
3: was one
2: question. Oh, yeah. We never. (laughs) Yeah. I forget. I mean, you kind of answered. I forget my signature question
0: every show. (laughs) (laughs) My one question that we have to ask every guest is How are you getting better every day?
3: How am I getting better every day? Practice, Mm -hmm. my commitment to the practice, um, being more okay with my vulnerability publicly as well as privately within my family, being committed that unless I'm willing to walk into spaces where my own vulnerability is present, um, it doesn't give permission for others to do so. And so yoga, meditation, uh, prayer, diet, sleep, therapy, play, these are the ways in which I ensure that I, I, I do better and am better and and my commitment to serving others and recognizing the privileges that I've been given and the resources that I have, both spiritually as well as practically, and that... The only way to really truly make sense of this world um, is to be in relationship, and that's yoga. And so, how I get better every day is by practicing yoga and being in relationship with others.
0: Because we're better together. We're better. better
3: together. I just had one question that's <laughs> yeah. been burning
2: me. Um, yeah. Reading this book and just hearing you talk gave me a big breakthrough. Because I have one person who is so dear to me and has suffered through trauma, anxiety—not um, OCD, but depression—and And uh, highly abused drugs and alcohol, and then got to a place in their life where they, it was, I called it a miracle because now he is thriving and so healthy and just perfect. But I think calling it a miracle is doing a massive disservice to the work he's done Mm -hmm. and the work you have done. So I'm just curious, what would be the one. Just one step of advice for someone who's still dealing, not has not recognized their trauma and wants to move forward.
3: <sighs> one piece of advice. That's a, that's a tough one because it's all so individual. How someone moves through their trauma. Of course, I want to say trust the process. I think what what I feel more uh, to do in this moment is to pray, because that. It's what I would hope that someone can do, to be in the mystery. And so I'm going to ask the listeners, uh, if, if it's appropriate, close your eyes. If it's not appropriate uh, and you're driving and listening to this, don't close your eyes, but just let yourself connect to the moment and take a deep breath in. Exhale it out. And then in this moment, calling in the God of your own unique understanding, be it your higher power, the creative consciousness, Mother Earth or the Holy Mother herself. But to this grace we ask, may this moment be an opportunity for healing and awakening to occur body, mind and spirit. May I let go of everything that I think I know, and instead be willing to step into that sacred world directly behind my eyes, letting go of human interpretation. May I embrace divine perception, which is infinite and limitless. We ask, may we transform our resistance into surrender. May we shift our fear into faith, and may faith be the quality of being that moves us forward breath by breath on our path. We ask for strength and resiliency. We ask for acceptance. We ask to trust the God within and the God within all and to recognize that we are here to open to love. We ask, may there be peace within and beyond. And may we be in service to that peace in all that we do and say and create. Take another deep breath in, exhale it out. And then open your eyes and take that moment to recognize that the moment we open ourselves to acknowledging the challenges that is of this life is the moment the portal expands and we have the opportunity to listen deeply to the truth that's already within, because the truth is already there. We just have to get out of our way. So anyone who's in trauma, is in the struggle, may you be blessed, trust the process, breathe deep, know that you are guided, recognize that there are resources available that can help support you in this evolutionary process. Know that you are not alone in this journey at all and that you will one day, not today, but one day look back and you will be grateful for every experience as it was, as it had been, because had you not had those experiences as they were and are, you would not become, you would not be the person that you're awakening to be, which is love. That would be the advice I would give.
0: I love that. Wow. So true. We're all on our journey. Yeah. And it's different for everybody.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so much.
3: You're so welcome. Thank you. God bless.
0: All right,
2: Steph. What have we learned?
3: (laughs) Maria, I was on the verge
2: of tears that entire episode. Right? It was like from the beginning of when you guys started talking to the end, I was just amazed with the breakthroughs. And it's it's crazy to see an in individual stories. It's resonates with millions of people. Yeah, it was so special.
0: Yeah, she's really special, and um, I think like I could just cry with her all day because <laughs> she just is like magical. She's got like she's got like um a way to touch your soul and a way to explain things. Um, and like I said, I feel like I understand yoga on a whole other level now. And I think everyone listening will too, like knowing that that discomfort is what you need to investigate. And even, you know, in our post discussion, she was so gracious in giving me more information about things to look into, like the Greek heritage and Greek women and their roles and, um, and, you know, even talking about how my mom wasn't able to really communicate when she lost her baby, and I've devoted my whole life to being a communicator. And um, there were so many breakthroughs she was giving me, even in the post-discussion, that I feel really grateful for. Um, and I just feel grateful for this book. So I, I highly, highly, highly recommend Sean Korn's book, Revolution of the Soul, Um it's, uh, it's a a beautiful account of her transformation and her teachings. And please help us by rating, commenting, subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you for being on this journey with us. And uh, follow us at Maria Menounos, at Sean Korn. And remember, be nice people, make good choices, and be present.